0: All right, so Lord, we do come to you, and we are grateful that this is not just a religious exercise. We're, we're grateful that we're grateful that you are there. The, the psalmist said, "I love the Lord because He hears my voice." Sometimes we talk to folks and they're distracted, and we can kind of tell they're distracted, and we can kind of tell that we don't have their full attention. That is never the case with you. You you are honed in on each one of us. And you hear not only, Lord, what we say with our words, but you hear what's really coming from our hearts. And when we pray and our mind wanders, you understand that. Uh, We'll we'll pray about something, and, and, and the next thing we know, we're out in a golf course somewhere thinking about That shot we hit last week, Uh, but you understand that about us. You understand our thought from afar. Lord, we are here because we need you. We are here because we need to be reminded of what's true. We are here because uh, because life is difficult and life is challenging, and there are so many things on our plates. A lot of us remember that guy used to be on Ed Sullivan that used to spin those plates. And he'd have about 12 of them lined up, and he'd get them all going. And by the time he'd get that last one going, that first one was wobbling and just about to fall, and he'd have to run back. And that's kind of how we live our lives. We've got so many plates spinning, and we're trying to keep them all going. And there's no way in the world that we can. And every now and then, two or three or four of those plates go down, and they crash. And that's when we were reminded of how much we need you in our lives. We can't get along without you. We're grateful, Lord, that we are not sitting in the Oval Office. That is a tremendous amount of pressure. Uh, Every every word that is uttered is analyzed. Every word that isn't uttered is analyzed. Uh, Second-guessing goes on. We would simply pray for our president. We would pray uh, that you would give him great wisdom We would pray that you would put Daniels around him. Uh, Lord, we don't always understand everything that is done. Some of us are probably very excited. Others of us are disappointed. Uh, Lord, our hope is in you, in you alone. And and, and even when things are not looking the way we'd like them to look, you are still at work. You, You are running this deal. And our trust is in you. We're concerned for our nation. We pray for our nation. You've told us to pray for those in authority over us. And Lord, we would pray, just as Jesus said, we would pray that uh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we are thrilled to know that your will will be done in your way, in your time. And even when your will isn't being done, you still use that and it doesn't frustrate your will. Because you're bigger than everybody else's will. And there's an invisible hand that is running all things and you're moving history towards its climax and to its climax. And nothing will thwart that and nothing will get in the way of that. So we are secure tonight. Remind us, Lord, of... uh, of your greatness and your power and your majesty. Remind us of how you work. Because a lot of times we forget in our frustration and our disappointment. Give each guy here tonight exactly what he needs tonight. We need different things. We're coming from different spots. We're facing different things. But we need you. So we open our hearts to you tonight. take down the barriers lord that might uh, not, that might be there from hearing you otherwise uh, if they're there this is a futile effort so we pray these things in jesus name amen <clears throat> it it was thomas watson the preacher of about 300 years ago who made the statement that some men are shooting stars and some men are fixed stars we were driving to california oh a year and a half ago and as we were somewhere in northern arizona and it was right at twilight right at dusk suddenly this gigantic ball came a fireball came flashing across the sky It, 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 it was close. Uh, it just just lit everything up. It was almost as though you could reach out and touch it. Uh, it, it only was visible for two or three seconds, and then it just exploded. What, 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 um, what a show. Um, people literally pulled over on the side just to get their senses about them. it. It was so staggering in its scope. Um, some, some men live their lives like that. Uh, some men, Watson said, are shooting stars. They, they make a big splash in life, and they go uh, shooting across the horizon, and everybody notices them. And there is tremendous energy to their lives, and there is tremendous speed to their lives. Um, but so often, men like that their lives end up in in just a a huge explosion. Um, You see men like that in the scriptures. Um, So often in our culture the men that uh, we pay attention to are the shooting stars. The the guys that uh, the guys that make a big splash. We uh, over the summer were doing some work. We were were trying to remodel our kitchen without spending any money. <laughs> and it didn't work. So we spent some money and remodeled our kitchen, but Mary would come home, she'd go out and she'd find these mag, you know, they're looking she's looking for ideas and so-, so one night I'm looking at this Architectural Digest magazine because on the cover is this ranch that Ted Turner has, which is the largest ranch in America in New Mexico. And it said, Ted Turner's Ranch, decorated by Jane Fonda. So it had all this Northern Vietnamese stuff in the ranch. And was, you know, yeah, yeah. You know. No, it didn't, Dad. But, um, but I'm looking at these pictures. I'm looking at this ranch. And you know, this is just one of his ranches. And one of the things that caught my eye, and, and the money that they spent on this play, I mean, you know, it's just incredible. But uh, one of the things the article said was that uh, after talking about the money they spent, and you see all these pictures, I mean, it's just millions upon millions upon millions. And one of the phrases was, since Ted is only here several days a year. And I thought, what? He's only there two or three days a year. All that money, all that time, all that investment. And, what you know, the sucker's the biggest landowner in America. Because why is he only, well, because he's got this, and he's got this, and he's got this house, and he's got this ranch, and he's got this. And everybody knows about Ted Turner. See? Some guys just live their lives like that. Watson said some men are shooting stars, uh, other men are fixed stars. Uh, What we need to be as men is we need to be fixed stars. You see, a fixed star can save your life. If you're lost in the wilderness and you can get to high ground and you know anything at all about navigation, just the bare minimum, Uh, A fixed star can save your life. Because that fixed star will help you figure out direction. The north star can save your life. But the north star doesn't move around. It doesn't shoot across the horizon. It's not doing histrionics. The north star is fixed. And if you can find it, you can find your way. Uh, I think God has called us as men to be fixed stars so many guys make big splashes so many guys, and, and you know i think a lot of times as guys we we wonder about the significance of our lives because we do the same things over and over again and we don't get a lot of accolades and we oftentimes don't get a lot of strokes and nobody knows who we are and we um, we get up in the morning and we go to work and we work hard And uh, we provide for our families and we pay tuition and we love our wives and we support the ministry and, um, you know, we we love the Lord and we, and sometimes we think we're not significant because nobody ever interviews us for a radio program and nobody, but you see, that's what we need. We need men who are fixed stars. Fixed stars are reliable. Fixed stars are steady. Fixed stars are responsible. Fixed stars can be counted upon. I I hesitate to tell you this, but I'm going to go ahead and mention this to you. Um, But I got to kind of, How do I say this without uh, Lou, when we do the tape on this, I want you to edit this out? Can you do that? Paul was a fixed star. he was one of the greatest of the stars uh, the I, I said last week that if there was a list, and every once in a while you 'll hear about the top one hundred leaders. Was it time that about, what, five, six, seven, eight years ago, they did a list of the top 100 leaders in history, and Jesus wasn't on it? Well, that's what you'd expect from those guys. You know, Mao Zedong is on it, and Che Guevara, and, you know, Jerry Garcia. (laughs) You know. That's what you'd expect. Uh, Paul wasn't on that list, but uh, Paul should have been at the top of the list because in terms of what really counts you can make a case that Paul was uh, uh, perhaps the greatest leader in the history of the world in terms of a man now Jesus was the God man Paul was a man in 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 terms of how Paul was used and the fact that he was used to write a great portion of, of the New Testament how many lives have been changed How many nations, have you realized nations have been changed by someone reading the book of Romans? Do you realize that? Do you realize that uh, when Martin Luther understood from Romans that the just shall live by faith, and he broke away from Roman Catholicism and a whole works mentality, that millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of people were set free, and the Spirit of God used Paul to write that? He understood Paul's argument, and it set him free. Paul is a strategic leader. Paul was a fixed star. Paul was steady. He was reliable. He was dependable. He showed up. But even fixed stars uh, go through tough times. You know, some guys some guys who are shooting stars, uh, some guys, just their temperaments, uh, they're, they're all over the map. You never know where they're going to be. And, and you, you've met guys like this. You just never know from moment to moment. They're either up, they're down, they're just, they're just bouncing all over the wall. But there are other guys that are real steady. You ever work with someone who's just real steady? You ever served on a board with someone who's real steady? And maybe they don't say a whole lot. Other guys are talking and throwing in their two cents. This guy doesn't say a lot. But when he does, it's profound. Remember that commercial from years and years ago when E.F. Hutton Speaks, people. What? Listen, that was a really good commercial. You anyway. know, what's he going to say? You know, uh, there's a lot to be said for being steady. There's a lot to be said for being fixed. But even someone like Paul, there were times when he got hammered, and there were times when he took a shot. Uh, some of you guys played ball. Uh, you played some football. Uh, coming up, what was what what was the uh, what what was the greatest shot you ever took? What what was the hardest you ever got hit? I had a kid hit me that weighed 165 pounds. That's all. I, I mean, I I remember playing. I remember playing against a guy that was 330, and he never hit me as hard as this kid did. Weighed 165. This kid absolutely obliterated me. I never, he, he absolutely blindsided me on a kickoff. And uh, actually, it was a girl. No, it was. <laughs> <coughs> he, he just absolutely floored me. Never saw him coming. Uh, that happens sometimes to, to stable, steady leaders. It happens. And it happened to Paul in Macedonia now we're going through 2nd Corinthians and we're snapshotting certain things not hitting every verse because we're looking to get into this guy's life 2nd Corinthians chapter 7 he recalls an incident and once again what he's gonna do is he's gonna open up his life he's, he's gonna open up his heart he's gonna let us look inside And what you're going to see here is probably going to look familiar to you because, once again, this is the process that God uses to develop his men. 2 Corinthians 7, 5. For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. But we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without fears within but God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of Titus now we could go on but we just need those two verses for the snapshot we just need those two verses once again to look inside Paul and see what's going on inside this guy's life this great leader this great fixed star How how did he become such a man of faith? How did he become such a rock? Well, as we have seen, he went through a number of experiences as he walked with Christ that built spiritual muscle in his life. Uh, we, We saw last week, he mentioned that although the outer man is decaying, and is that not true that the outer man is decaying? It's just remarkable. Um, you can, you can. Um, I, I don't know. When was the first time you ever pulled a hamstring? What were you six or seven? No, you don't pull hamstrings at six or seven. But you get to about twenty-six. Twenty-seven, you'll pull a hamstring. You know, you'll be working out, and um, how come? You know, Brett Favre was on Monday Night, and that guy's been playing a lot of years, but uh, he's not going to play a lot more years. You just can't keep going because the outer man decays. Now, as the outer man decays, though, this inner man is developing. This inner man is maturing. This inner man is, is developing spiritual muscle. And there's a, it's, it's in every weight room in America, the famous, famous slogan. And the slogan says, no pain, no Okay, now there's the Christian life. The last thing we want in our lives is pain. But if there is no pain in life, there is going to be no gain. There is going to be no maturing. There is going to no, there's, can I say this? You're not going to become a fixed star through an easy life. It comes through pain and heartache and difficulty. Now, that's not a perpetual thing. God is gracious and gives us seasons where, uh, where we're kind of running on all cylinders. And the favor of God is on our lives. But there are chapters that he will take us into where there will be acute difficulty and hardship. Why? Because he wants to take us to the next level. And he wants to get us ready for what he has for us to do down the road. He's always overseen what comes into our lives. So here's here's Paul. And listen, Paul's already been through all kinds of stuff. But now he's... He's reminding them of something else that happened to him. When we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. Have you ever felt like that? You just couldn't catch a break. This guy was utterly fatigued. He was emotionally fatigued. He was physically fatigued. He was spiritually fatigued. Um, This guy was running on fumes. What does he say? Our flesh had no rest. Uh, He was absolutely overwhelmed, he was overloaded, he was overworked, he was overly tired, his flesh had no rest, he couldn't catch a break. That's where he was. And this happened when when he was in Macedonia. And then he says this, uh, we were afflicted on every side. Now he said that last week in the passage that we were in. In every area of his life, there was something that was out of whack. In every area of his life, there was a pressure. In every area of his life, there was some kind of hardship that he was facing. Uh, Why is that? That's because God was working different muscles in his life spiritually. Uh, You go down here to 24-Hour Fitness, and there are guys, and they're working through a program. And what they are doing is they are purposefully putting hardship and strain on different muscles in their body, in order to do what? In in order to gain. So on purpose, they they pay a fee to go down there. They pay. They write them a check so they can go down and suffer. See, we look at this and say, "This is nuts." It's not nuts. We we do it in life. We 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 will sign up for hardship because we know that there is a reward. So you will take on a project because you know there's a reward and you will work very, very hard. Um, You perhaps went to graduate school and others were working and making good money and you went ahead and bit the bullet and you're you're living on Campbell's soup. But you knew there'd be a reward. Um, This is what happens in the spiritual realm. He was afflicted on every side. He, his muscles were being worked. He was being stressed and strained. Then he goes on. I, th- th- this, is, this, this guy is very honest. Very honest. He's going he's gonna to describe it in a little more detail. We're, we were afflicted on every side. Conflicts without. Fears within. He's being uh, really honest here. Really honest. You know, um, you can't be this honest with everybody. Paul was having to do this because he was being um, attacked. Part of the conflicts without, did you see that phrase? Conflicts without. Is that what he says? Yeah. Uh, Fears within. Well, part of the conflict that was without, that was outside of him, what was going on at this church in Corinth. These these people were a pain. Uh, He was being attacked. His authority was being attacked. They were saying this guy wasn't a real apostle. You know, he wasn't one of the 12. I mean, he says Jesus appeared to him later. I mean, but who knows? I mean, they were coming after this guy. They were questioning his authority. They were saying he was in it for the money. They, They were attacking him personally. So even in this church, there were conflicts without. Conflict. and, And you know, every leader faces conflict. Nobody likes conflict. Nobody enjoys conflict. So, what do you do as a leader when conflicts come? And conflicts will come. What did James say? James said, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. James didn't say, Count it all joy if you encounter various trials. He said, Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Uh, conflict is normal in life. But we don't like conflict. Nobody enjoys conflict. What we'd like to have is that we'd like to have uh, peace, and we'd like to have uh, civility, and we'd like to have understanding. But conflict, conflict happens. Conflict happens. Uh, it happened in the church at Corinth. Conflict can happen in any church. Uh, Some of the greatest conflicts uh, that ever occur are inside churches. You ever been in a church split? That'll tear your guts out. Uh, Some of the greatest conflicts that ever occur happen in uh, not Christian churches, but in Christian families. So what do you do when a conflict happens? See, here's what happens we have so much conflict in our life to begin with when we go home the last thing we want to do is to deal with conflict but conflicts at home conflict happens in a marriage conflict happens with children now what we want to do is that we want to ignore the conflict because see you've been working you've been given all your energy you come home you know you just want to kind of kind of recoup you, you want to recover you, you don't want any more stress but what happens is there's an issue uh, maybe there's not one issue, maybe there's two issues and, and see what happens is when you put things off they don't go away, they just get bigger you can try to ignore them uh, but they don't go away when you ignore a conflict, what you really do is you feed a conflict. You're feeding that sucker. And it's going to grow and it's going to gain weight and it's going to get nastier and it's going to get more difficult to fix. But see, we don't want to deal with conflict. So what happens is, is that you'll have a conflict at home with your wife. And if the conflict is ignored and ignored and put off and put off and put off, one day it's going to blow. And then you really got an issue. See, dealing with conflict takes energy. And when we come home, the problem is we're out of energy. And we're out of gas. See, I really appreciate his honesty here. He didn't say conflict without. He said conflicts, plural. Because you'll never just have a conflict in your life it's always plural. There's always more than one conflict. And what happens is we get tired. And what happen is, happens is we get weary. And what happens is we just want, you know what? We just want to be left alone. But life doesn't work like that. See, it takes energy to work through a conflict. It takes energy to talk about a conflict. Now, sometimes, sometimes, let's just be real practical. In your, in your home, in your marriage, you got a conflict. So what do you do? Well, that conflict has got to be addressed. Now, even there, you need wisdom on when to address that conflict. It could be that right when something occurs, it could be that's not, the, that, that's not the best time to deal with that conflict because everybody's exhausted. But you know what? You can't put it off for weeks and weeks. It might have to be dealt with the next day, or you take your wife out that weekend. Or, but you got, you, you've got to talk about the conflict. Because when we don't, what happens is the enemy gets a wedge in between us. And then what he starts doing is, that, that wedge, there's a crack, and then, and then it, it, that, it turns into a fissure. And it gets wider and wider and wider and wider and wider. And And you got two people living under the same roof that are miles apart. Same thing with a kid. Same thing with a worker. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, our natural tendency is to avoid dealing with conflict. And that never works. So, what do you do? Um, and what do you do when you've tried to deal with it and you're at, a, you're at a checkmate? You know, I think there are times when what we have to do is we have to ask God to give us a breakthrough. Everybody knows Bruce Wilkinson for his Prayer of Jabez book. But in my opinion, that's not his best book. The best book he ever wrote was Experiencing Spiritual Breakthroughs. That is a phenomenal book. When you're at a crux, when, when you're at a standoff, and you need a breakthrough, what do you do? How do you prepare your heart? How does... And, and see, really, what has to happen is sometimes there's such conflict, and there's such disagreement, and there's such strife, and there's such a history of... of um, Bad feelings and lack of trust and all these things. What has to happen is that is is for that conflict, for that log jam to be broken. Um, what you need is for God to providentially manufacture a setting where both of you can communicate heart to heart. And only God can do that. Um, what our wives want to know is what's in our hearts. And when they know what's in our hearts, they do a lot better. Are you guys tracking with me? Um, The best marriages are marriages. Let me back up. Marriages improve and conflicts are resolved when we wrap our hearts in glad wrap instead of Reynolds wrap. This is a deep theological truth. Right now, follow me here. Let's say that at 2.30 in the morning, we've had some people over and, you know, had a good time, go to bed. 2.30 in the morning, 3 o'clock, I wake up and I hear this voice, this still small voice speaking to me. It says guacamole. Guacamole. <laughs> you familiar with guacamole? My, my wife makes <laughs> tremendous Guacamole. And see, I happen to know that there's some of that guacamole left over in that refrigerator. Now, I'm not sure where this voice is coming from. But 2.33 in the morning, I hear this voice, guacamole. So I heed the voice. Yea, verily, I obey the voice. So I quietly slip out of bed. I make my way into the kitchen. I'm half out. I can't even see where I'm going. All I want is just one finger of guacamole. That's all I want. I make my way in. I open the refrigerator door. The light's dim. I'm just looking for the guacamole. I know it's in there. Now, if that stuff that Mary put away from that dinner party is wrapped in aluminum foil, I got a problem. And let's say it's wrapped in aluminum. There's four or five dishes in there. I pull the first one out. Peaches. I don't want peaches. Mm -hmm. I want guacamole. I've got to put it back. Oh, but celery! I don't want celery. I'm starting to get a little upset now. And see, I don't—I really don't want to wake up. I just want one finger of the guacamole. Before you know it, I got four or five bowls out. I got aluminum foil all over the kitchen. I'm breaking into a sweat. I'm looking for that guacamole. Now, let's change the scenario. 2:30, 3 in the morning. Still small voice guacamole. I obey the voice. I walk into the kitchen. I open the door, and Mary has wrapped the guacamole in glad wrap. That makes me glad. (laughs) You know why? You can see through it. Glad wrap is transparent. What we tend to do is we tend to wrap, as guys, we tend to wrap up our hearts in aluminum foil. This is really unusual for a guy like Paul to talk about what's going on in his life at this level. Conflicts without fears within. but God who comforts the depressed. He's admitting up to some things here. And when you've got a stalemate, you need a breakthrough. And the thing that you pray for is that God would custom design a time where the two of you, in God's way, in God's time, on God's schedule, where the two of you could sit down and actually communicate in such a way that she would know what is in your heart and you would know what's in hers. See only God can pull that off. But conflict has got to be dealt with. Conflict cannot be ignored. He he says another thing here. Um, See, see if conflict is ignored, uh, let me put it this way. You cannot continue to ignore it. It will make an appearance. And when it does, and when it explodes, you will have wished that you had dealt with it a long time ago. He mentions conflicts without, and then he says this, fears within. Sometimes um, we look at guys that are leaders and strong leaders, and we think that they just, you know, keep cranking and keep going. And <clears throat> You know what's interesting? Every guy in this room has fears. We have different kinds of fears, but we all have fears there are fears that you have, there are fears that I have and you know the enemy knows about our fears Um, I mentioned to you last week Martin Lloyd-Jones I think the great preacher of Westminster Chapel in London he died in 1981 before uh, he went into ministry he was a medical doctor a brilliant young medical doctor his powers of diagnosis were so strong and so acute that he stood head and shoulders above all of his classmates. He had been hand chosen to be the next physician to the Queen of England. And then at the age of 27, he was called into ministry. And he left London and went to a, a small little coal mining town in Wales where he served for 12, 13, 14 years and uh, preached and studied the scriptures. Uh, when he was at Westminster Chapel, he did a series on Ephesians that I, I don't remember the exact the number of years. I, I think, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, he was seven years teaching the book of Ephesians. And I have six volumes that have been published on those sermons. The volumes on Ephesians 6, I think it's beginning with verse 10 down through 18 on spiritual warfare. What are those, eight verses? That one volume by itself, he has a volume that thick on eight verses in Ephesians. Where it says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to withstand the strategies of the devil. Um, I think there are times when the enemy particularly comes after us. And I don't know if I said this last week, but uh, I had a friend send me an email and he was talking about four or five different guys and, that were going through things. And He said, this seems to be a time of acute spiritual attack in the lives of a number of men. A lot of guys who are walking with Christ seem to be under attack right now. I don't know why that is, but it just seems to be the case. Um, You know, fear is an interesting thing. Because uh, fear... um, Are you guys following me at all? I'm just wondering. Because, you know, when, when you really step back and you look at fear... Uh, there are some things to be afraid of. We have an enemy who is very, very real and who is very, very powerful. And here's the deal. When a man gets serious about following Christ, the enemy then gets serious about you. Now, when a guy's not serious, when a guy is just sort of a token Christian, uh, And you know what I mean, you're kind of half in, you're kind of half out, you're just kind of, you know, you wake up in the morning and and, uh, on Sunday morning your wife says, honey, let's, you know, are we going to go to church? See, instead of you saying, I'm going to get the kids up and we're going to go to church, your wife's got to get you up and uh, you're not sure you want to go and it's just, you know, that's not real good. You following me here? especially your father, you got kids at home Sunday morning, you know, what? get your butt out of that bed and get up and get those kids. And don't wait for your wife to say, you get them ready. You get, you get those kids and you lead them to church. That's your job. That's what you're supposed to do. Um, maybe your dad didn't do that. Well, that's what you're supposed to do. It doesn't come from mom. It comes from you. Um, you know, fear is an interesting thing. When, when we start getting serious about following Christ, he's going to try all these different strategies to bring us down. And different things work with different guys. And different things don't work with different guys. Uh, because we're all different. See, we're all we all have different temperaments. That's why there are different positions in football. There are certain positions in football where uh, you need guys who have no fear. Guys that don't know the meaning of fear. Um, if if you look, any of you guys when you played ball, any of you guys at all, any of you guys in here were linebackers. I'm just curious. Anybody? Some of you guys were linebackers. You just love to hit. I have a theory about linebackers. If you look deep into a linebacker's eyes, you'll see the word tilt. <laughs> Most linebackers are nuts they'll hit anything. Some of you know my brother Jeff. My brother Jeff was a linebacker. Jeff can't even walk today, hardly, because he's had so many knee operations. When Jeff was little, we'd say, Jeff, go hit that truck. Boom! He'd hit it. I mean, he was nuts. He, he, I mean, he just didn't know fear. Now, if you're a linebacker, you, you don't deal with a lot of fear, otherwise you'd never play linebacker. There's a difference temperamentally between a linebacker and a wide receiver a lot of wide receivers you know they want to run a post and make the big play but there are a lot of it they ever frustrate you to watch football and see a guy and, and he's cutting across the field and they throw him a pass and he's wide open and it hits him right here and the sucker drops it he knows that linebackers coming he knows roy williams is coming he knows ronnie Lott is coming now you know here's the thing Ronnie Lott's gonna hit you one way or the other. So why not just catch the ball? Just look it in and catch it and get creamed. But at least you caught it. But, but every once in a while you'll see a guy, you know, and he's all, got his, you know, and he's all prancing and doing his stuff. And he goes across and he goes up to catch it. And the sucker drops it and he gets obliterated. And John Madden will say, ah, yeah, he heard the footsteps. Well, see, that guy, what's that guy dealing with? He's dealing with fear. Now, that can happen in the spiritual realm. Paul says, conflicts without fears within. Let me ask you something. What is it that guys fear? Uh, generally speaking, I think women fear being used. I think men fear failure. Generally speaking. As men, we don't want to fail, but we do fail. There are other fears, uh, other fears that we have as men. Man, we could make a list of them. Um, but fear, you know, the thing interesting thing about Satan can play us like a piano with fear. Um, what are some of the fears guys deal with? Just throw some out to me. All right, temptation and fear that you'll succumb. What's another fear? Huh? Fear of making mistakes. Sure, and we know we're going to make them. Death of a child. What? Death of a child. Of a child. Yeah. Rejection. Fear of rejection. What else? Fear that your life is not going to matter. Fear that your life is not going to matter. It's not going to count. Yeah. What else? You guys have any financial goals? You ever you ever have a f- fear you won't reach them? You ever have a fear that you'll wind up in a rest home with no money and your kids having to take care of you? And the- you ever think about that? Well, if you don't, they'll they'll run commercials to make you fear it. <laughs> you see? Fear is everywhere. See? And and what can happen is, and and, and see, this is really interesting, because I want you to notice one more time here. Paul's description, because there is a time in our life when fear can get us when it normally can't get us. Go back on five. When we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within. Uh, Here's what I'm saying. I think where Paul was at this time in his life, Paul was depleted. Paul was out of gas. Paul was out of energy. Paul was out of strength. Paul was out of emotional energy. He was out of physical energy. He was out of spirit. Paul was fatigued. And when we get fatigued, what happens, we are particularly susceptible to fear. A fear that normally wouldn't get us, but it can get us when we get physically and emotionally and spiritually run down. See, Because then things get out of perspective. And what the enemy can do, he can, he can plan a fear and all of a sudden you don't have any reserves and you can just take off on this fear. For the last couple of weeks, I've been dealing with a fear. And there's only one person who knows about it, and it's Mary. We were, uh, we went out to eat the other night and and uh, right in the middle of our meal, she looked at me, and she put her fork down, and she said, what's wrong with you? And I said, nothing. Because <laughs> like Paul, I want to open my life and share my life. <laughs> I didn't have my heart in aluminum foil. I w- my whole body was wrapped in it. I said, nothing, I'm fine. She said, you're not fine. There's something going on. What's going on with you? I said, I'm all right. She said, you're not all right. Does it not tick you off <laughs> when they know you so well and you can't hide it? You're trying to be calm. You're trying to be cool. You're just trying to keep going, and they read you like a book, and they know. And they're not going to. They're not. They're not going to back off until you tell them, because they care. Because they love you. And and so I, so I I, started, I give I gave her I gave her a little bit. She said, well, that's not all of it. I said, it's most of it. (laughs) She said, yeah, but there's more. I said, yeah, but I don't want to go into it. She said, well, you've been this way for two two weeks, Steve. And I said, well, I know. She said, so what is it that's really down deep that's causing so much anxiety? And it wasn't until I told her that I got through it. Isn't that interesting? Because what she was able to so then I told her, I'm not telling you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, call Mary. Yeah, you'll call Mary. That's right. When I told her, in about three minutes, she said, you know what she said? She said, you know what, the, can I tell you what this is? I said, yeah. She said, this is a satanic attack. And whenever the enemy wants to get you, he always brings this up with you. And she gave me a history. She said, you remember four years ago? It was the same issue. You remember eight years ago? This is where he gets you. It's right in this area. You're susceptible. You're vulnerable here. and, 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 And you know what? Everybody's got an Achilles heel. Everybody's got their weak spot. Mine's not the same as yours. Yours isn't the same as mine. But, but and see what she did was she identified it for me. Isn't that interesting. See, this is why we can't live the Christian life alone. Um, if you follow Paul's thinking, I want you to catch the next thing he says, because see when we have conflicts without when we're afflicted on every side, when we have fears within, when, uh, when our flesh has no rest, you know what's going to happen to you? Let me tell you what's going to happen to you. You are going to get depressed. You know what depression is? Depression comes from one of two sources. Uh, depression can come from physiological reasons. There can be a chemical imbalance. Uh, a lot of times our wives, they go through... Um, their monthly period, Uh, they go through menopause, there are all these hormonal changes that that women go through, and thankfully, as guys, we don't go through things like they do. Uh, But things can happen to guys. Guys can have chemical imbalances and all that stuff. So that's one category. Then the other category by which guys go through depression is not physiological, but it comes from loss, L-O-S-S. When you have a significant loss in your life, you're going to experience depression. You say, why? Because you lost something. You lost something that was valuable. You lost something that was important. You might lose a business. You might lose a child. You might lose your reputation. You might lose a marriage. You might lose integrity. You might lose... See, we lose... And what happens is when we have loss, you might lose health. You might lose... And what happens is when we lose something, we, just, we, we have depression. So Paul had lost all kinds of things here. See, he's got all kinds of stuff going on in his life. And so he says in the next verse, but God who comforts the depressed. Isn't that interesting? God who comforts the depressed. Now the question is, there are two questions here, um, why do we get depressed? Because, because things happen to us and we lose things. We lose things in life that are important to us. You've been laid off from a job, you're going to go through some depression. You say, well, I've never been through depression. Then you haven't lost much in your life. You lost a spouse as your wife died. Some of you guys in here, you've had, uh, your wife has passed away. You went through incredible depression and you couldn't get over it. That's because you don't put yourself in a spiritual microwave and push 20 minutes and come out of it. You can't get over depression just like that. See, those are chapters that God takes us through. And it takes time to heal up. Most depressions, and this is even studies done among people that are not believers. Most people who go through depressions from some kind of loss come out of them in two two to two and a half years. It's as though there's a, there's a, a healing time that we have to go through. But Paul, see, he says God who comforts the depressed. Why do we get depressed? Because there's loss in our life. All right, then the question is, well, how does, God, how does God comfort us in our depression? Catch what he says. But God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of Titus. See, this is why when we go through difficult times and hard times, you can't isolate yourself. You've got to have one or two people around you that you can trust with your life and with your heart to let them in to let them know what's going on inside. Paul could level with Titus. God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the com- when Titus showed up and, and and what happened? Well, we don't know what happened except I think I think we do know this. Titus understood Paul. And, and Titus was tight enough and was close enough that whatever it was that was going on in his life, whatever that conflict without the fears within, Titus was able to give him a right word at the right time. Proverbs says, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. You say, well, you, you know, some, I, I mean, you can't always be with people. What? And that's true. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes you're isolated. Uh, Chuck Colson in his book The Good Life tremendous book his newest book tells the story of a woman named Nian Cheng who uh, was a high-ranking woman in China in the 50s her husband was a diplomat when the Mao revolutionaries uh, really hit full steam at a certain point they broke into her home they separated her from her daughter. Her husband had just died of cancer, and um, uh, they believed that she was not committed to, to to the communist position. And so they put her in a camp and tried to reorient her. And she resisted, and she resisted, and she resisted. Uh, they tore her away from her daughter, and ultimately they put her into solitary confinement in an attempt to break her down. And She was all by herself. She was depressed. she just lost her husband. She hadn't seen her daughter. She didn't even know if her daughter was alive. And as she was in solitary confinement and just about to lose all hope and to lose um, all faith in God, Colson writes this. During her imprisonment, when the leadenness of her days exerted its full weight, She often sat on her bed longing for her daughter. At times, she felt as if she couldn't breathe. Her stomach was so often in her throat that her appetite failed. At one point, she almost starved to death from grief. Then she found an unexpected companion. Late one afternoon, she looked up to her cell's iron-barred window where she saw a tiny spider no bigger than a dime. It crawled to the top of one iron bar. There the spider paused, then swung out on its own silken thread to the closest bar. With the two ends of the silken thread secure, the spider became a tightrope walker, making its way back up the thread to its original starting position. It then leapt out across the chasm again this time landing a little lower on the neighboring bar. Back the spider crawled to its launch point, out it swung once more. After framing the outer dimension of its new web, the spider began plying the intricacies of its gossamer weave. The spaces it left between threads were amazingly uniform, the whole of the web perfectly symmetrical. When its web was complete, the spider crawled to the center where it waited vigilantly. Nian realized she had just witnessed an architectural feat by an extremely skilled artist. She wondered at the size of the spider's brain. Had the spider acted purely on instinct? What did instinct mean exactly? Had the spider come by its skill through evolution, or had God endowed the spider with its gifts? As she wondered about the origins of the spider's gifts, she found its web-building virtuosity had a tonic effect on her spirits. She found the spider's web extraordinary, uplifting, and beautiful. And then he goes on and says, when the interrogation started that afternoon and the loudspeakers began to blare, she would look at that web, and she saw the perfect symmetry of the design. She saw that it was an amazing engineering feat. And she was reminded by that little spider that indeed there was a God, contrary to what the loudspeaker was saying. And you know what it did? That little spider ministered to her. And that little spider in that solitary cell comforted her in her depression. Do we get depressed? Yeah. Does God know we get depressed? Yeah. Does God know how to encourage us in our depression? Yeah. Does he know how to let us know that he's there? Yeah. Have you already given me five minutes, Lou? Okay. Let me wrap it up. I love the book of Esther. If you're familiar with that book, it's an astonishing book because God is all over that book. Uh, There was great, great reason... If you know the story of Esther, for them to get depressed because everything was stacked against them. Uh, by the way, do you know that the, that the name of God never once appears in the book of Esther? But he's everywhere. So here's Esther. She's a Jewess. She winds up being chosen queen. Her uncle Mordecai says, Don't reveal the fact that you're a Jewess. And she doesn't. And then different events are going on. And at one particular point, Mordecai, her uncle, who was a fixed star, by the way, who was a godly man, who was a steady man, who was a responsible man, raising this little girl who wasn't even his own daughter. But her parents apparently had died. He was responsible, took her in, raised her as his own. At one point there was an assassination attempt against the king. Mordecai reported it, assassination attempt was foiled, etc., etc. etc. There was a man named Haman, who was a close associate of the king. Uh, Through some interaction with Mordecai, he hated Mordecai, hated hated Mordecai's guts. Mordecai was a Jew. Not only did he hate Mordecai, he hated all the Jews. And this man, with all this power and all the authority and the ear of the king, decided at a certain point that he was going to get rid of Mordecai and get rid of the Jews. And he actually built gallows to hang Mordecai on. And he had a plan to exterminate all the Jews off the face of the earth. And it was on a particular night that the king couldn't sleep. This plan was about to be hatched. The king couldn't sleep. Uh, the king didn't have a VCR, he didn't have Tebow. So he called for the books. And they brought in the books and they started reading to the king. And they read through the Chronicles and they read. Uh, about Mordecai when there was an assassination attempt and it was foiled because and he goes that's it. he goes, what do we ever do for Mordecai? Now you gotta understand, Mordecai is gonna be dead the next morning if Haman's plan is put into practice. What do we ever do for this? See, isn't this amazing how chance works? <laughs> now if you were Mordecai and you knew what was going on, you would have good reason to be depressed. But you see, there's this invisible hand and he can't sleep, and as they're reading to him, and he goes, says, Mordecai he goes, he goes, Hey, what do we ever do for Mordecai? Do we ever reward that guy? King, we didn't do anything. Well, well, we got to do something for him. And he's saying, What do we do for this guy? What, what could I do? I mean, that guy saved my life. And just then Haman shows up early in the morning. He's showing up for work early because you know he's trying to get ahead and be successful. And he walks in early to the king's presence, and the King says, Haman, he goes, Hey, let me ask you something. If I wanted to honor somebody and I appreciated their service and all the work that they did, and I really wanted to do something for them that would be extraordinary, what should I do for them? Haman thinking, who else would he want to honor except me? Obviously, he wants to honor me. Haman says, well, what I would do is that I would get a white horse and I'd put him on the back of the horse and I'd have him paraded through the city and have everybody bow and do homage to this guy. And he said, that is a great idea. Go get a horse and put Mordecai on the horse and you lead him through the city is that great or what is that great or what do we get depressed yeah do we get fearful yeah so last week when I was I went in and got my volume on Martin Lloyd-Jones on his thick book on all the sermons on what eight verses and I start flipping through there and he's talking about fear. And we fear this, and we fear this, and we fear this. But he says, you know what we're supposed to fear? We're supposed to fear the Lord. Because the Lord runs everything. So, he, and, he's, and I'm reading this. He said, so if you're experiencing fear right now, you know what you're not doing? You're not fearing him. You're fearing something that he controls. And your fear is in the wrong place. When all else fails, read the directions. He's in charge. Nobody likes going through depression. Nobody likes dealing with fear. You know what it does? Build spiritual muscle. No pain. No gain. Let's pray. We don't like being in these spots, Lord. They're just, they're just not fun. They're not comfortable. But they're necessary. None of us suffer randomly. Never, none of us suffer just to suffer. You always have a purpose. There's always a reason. We may not know that reason. Oftentimes we don't know. But we do know this. It's the process by which you turn us into your men. It's the process by which you build spiritual muscle. And for the guys here tonight, Lord, that might be dealing with some depression, that might be dealing with some fear, may we put our fear in the right place. What is it that we are afraid of? Psalm 27, he said, the Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I fear? Are we afraid of someone that can, we think, affect our career or affect our future? They are nothing. They are Haman in your sight. And providentially, you will tie them in the knots as you tied him into knots. You take care of your people. Help us tonight, Lord, to fix our eyes on Jesus and his greatness. We ask in his name.